Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Mika Simmons, and you're listening to the Happy Vagina podcast. Coming up, we have star of Netflix's sex education, Patricia Allison, and we do a deep dive into millennial feminism, how to be aligned with your deeper self, and the anti-gay legislation that still devastates people's lives in parts of Africa. This episode has been kindly supported by ABC IVF, the UK's lowest cost IVF clinic. Fertility preservation at the right age is not an easy decision, and there are multiple reasons women choose to do so. But for many, the price can be a huge hurdle. ABC IVF want to make egg freezing an option to as many women as possible, not just those with deep pockets. If you are 37 or under, an all-inclusive egg freezing package costs just £3,595, which includes everything you will need, including medication and the first year's storage. If you've been thinking about taking control of your fertility, why not book an assessment with ABC IVF so you can better understand your fertility health and plan for your future? Just go to www.abcivf.co.uk and book your fertility assessment today. That's www.abcivf.co.uk. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who have made a difference in women's health, equality and relationships. Each week we chat to an inspiring human being as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook, promising not only to educate, but also entertain and enlighten. And this week on The Happy Vagina podcast, we are joined by actress, activist and sex educator, Patricia Allison. Trisha, welcome to the Happy Vagina. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be on here. It's good to be here. Thank you, Mika. Appreciate this. I've been hunting you down for a while. You're very close friends with a past person who came on, Tanya Reynolds. And I've been like, can you ask Trisha? Yeah, she did. She got in touch and I was like, absolutely. I just, I took some time off and I got back and I was like, I would uh, love nothing more than to come and sit down and have a chat with you just after listening to everybody else's lovely podcast as well. I'm going to dive straight in and ambush you with our completely limited and binary quick fire quiz. It's totally Generation X, but I don't care because our audience love it and we stopped doing it and they were like, please bring it back. So Trish, I've got five questions for you and they're simply an either or. Okay. Brief or G-string? Oh, (laughs) G-string. I did like some dance when I was young uh, and I kind of got into the habit of wearing them just because of the leotard and (laughs) it's a really really silly excuse but like I just got used to it it just became comfortable and now Mm. if I wear a brief 
sometimes I can get irritated, but it depends. So my theory is, is that all of my pants or knickers, if you're British, got my bum anyway. So why not just wear a G-string? Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> I always end up picking it out and feeling uncomfortable anyway. So just embrace it. <laughs> Next question, Brazilian or Bush? Oh, Oh my gosh, that's depending on weather, I would say. Um, Brazilian. <laughs> yeah. Gets a bit bushy yeah. in the winter. It does. It really does. Mm. And I guess if I'm just like feeling great, then it's a Brazilian. That's just, that's how, <laughs> that's how I like to go down. <laughs> I just did a panel for a, a shaving brand and Stephanie Yeboa, who's one of our past guests on here was saying, why would you not want to feel like a dolphin? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's about it. Although of course it doesn't last. <laughs> well, you know, What a good description. <laughs> I thought so. It doesn't last, no. Tampon or moon cup? Ooh, moon cup. Mm. But then again, depending on where I am and if I'm traveling, mm. <laughs> then we're always like grateful for the, for the tampons. But yeah, mm. got into moon cups. Has Tanya told you her story about when she got her cup stuck up inside of her vagina? Oh my God, no. I had that happen the first time. What, what happened to her? Well, it was her first experience and she told me about it when she came on the podcast and she basically couldn't get it out. I mean, she just had a complete panic about it. And in the end she did, but she couldn't reach it. She couldn't get to the cup. Couldn't grip it. Yeah, I had that as well. I panicked. Were I you thought scared? I lost it forever. Yes, I was terrified. It was weird. It was like a real growing process with the moon cup you know what I mean I was like this is this new alien in my life that I have to understand and actually literally get to grips with <laughs> try and get it out yeah but you so, gave it another go much better for the environment I think also moon yeah. cup should by now because moon cup obviously is the brand it's not the name of the actual menstrual cup the ruby cup yeah, yeah I used the ruby cup oh, as do well. you? have you heard of that one no, please tell me why you use that. Oh, the reason why I went for that one, well, my friend recommended it to me. So it's like the moon cup, but it's different. Like it's le- it's not as hard. Mm. And actually you buy one ruby cup and one goes to somebody else who might need, you know, like period poverty mm. um, is something that I'm really interested in mm. recently. And I was like, how do we help people who can't get access to, you know, supplies? Mm. So they also offer like one to somebody else as a charitable thing. But it's always interesting because you have to keep it clean. No, I think it's a really big topic because I guess with the hygiene side of it, it's definitely yeah. something that we have access to. And, you know, period exactly. poverty. Yeah, per- period poverty. When I was uh, writing the book with Happy Vagina, I suppose one of the things that I started to understand is that I think in my head, and this is probably limited by me but I think I thought period poverty was something that impacted nations that didn't have infrastructure or um, good economic systems so you know so so so-called developing countries and and um and actually what I've learned is that period poverty actually really impacts people in you know, first world countries as well. And that actually Mm -hmm. that that menstrual care is really expensive and that there are a lot of people in school. And what, one of the things that made me really sad is that actually people in women in the UK, as an example, in America, in all the countries that you probably wouldn't anticipate it, young girls often miss school because they can't afford to have menstrual care. Yeah. That's crazy. So your Ruby cup 
Because I'm, I suppose to a certain extent, I'd imagine that, do they actually give a Ruby cup or do they give some kind of menstrual care as a swap out? I, th- so I think they give a Ruby cup. It's like you, you buy one and you give one to someone else. So I buy two in a way. Mm. Um, and then you give them a Ruby cup as well. But, you know, I think it should be more than that because I think it should be optional. Do you know what I mean? Cause mm. it's, a, it's depending like, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I think that if you're, if you're yeah. in a country where there's not good, clean running water, you cannot use, yeah. I mean, this conversation you is a really, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. it's a first world conversation. Like, you know. Yeah. But that's the truth. You yeah. can't, you can't really use you can't use it. You can't keep it clean because it needs every single time you empty it, you need to kind of have access to really good hot water yeah. and like a little bit of nice soap to just to make sure there's no bacteria and stuff on it. And it's, you know, proper hygiene. It's insane. A private space. That's right. A private space with a sink. <laughs> and I don't know. I've also been to some public toilets here where I've been like, oh, I can't, definitely can't clean this here because you know, there's no private sink, uh, but whatever. So it's, it's a situational thing. Next question, clitoral or G-spot? Wow. I have to pick. <laughs> no, you don't have to pick. <laughs> I, I don't you. want to pick. <laughs> I, I told you it was binary and limited. they're both as important and can both be accessed at the same time. <laughs> no, they they're can. both great. <laughs> and last question, uh, vibrator or hand? Or vegetable? <laughs> 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 well you know i love vegetables um no i think i'll i think do you know what it, vibrator because and also hand but also vibrate <laughs> but also depending on whose hand <laughs> sometimes so definitely not a vegetable you'd go hand over vibrator but you'd like both please i think so i think so I would like, I just, I can't pick. It's always just like one day, um, yes, one day, no. You know what I mean? If you're on a desert island, no, that's uh, not going to work because yeah, you've already got your hand, so you can't take your hand away. Oh, wait. Okay, you can have both. Yeah, you can take please both. don't take my hand away. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really like my hand if I really had to pick. <laughs> Trisha, you scored 100% on the quiz, which was about yourself and your preferences, and there was no way to lose. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let's do a deep dive into who is Trisha Allison. I, I've read a bit about you, but I've tried not to read too much. But one of the things I know about you is that you played Ola on Sex Education, which its first season had this like massive viewing of like 40 million people watched it and it's continued to grow. And Trisha, you've just announced you're leaving. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I know. I know. But you know, it's, I guess that it's, it's changing that the school's the school's changing and, uh, and I, we're all getting a bit older and storylines of growing and I don't know, evolving, I suppose. So uh, here I am, <laughs> and, you know, and had a really, really lovely time on it, you know, and I, I kind of came in, I came in when they were already filming. So I kind of came into this amazing little 
world that they'd created, you know, a nice little buzz. They'd already been filming for like three months, maybe. And uh, I got cast quite late and sort of just two days after I was cast after quite a, I would say a really, really, really great auditioning process with the lovely Lauren Evans, who I have to thank so much for her time and her, I don't know, detail, attention to detail as a casting director. She was really fun to audition with. And I had my own insecurities definitely when I began because I was like, oh, I'm not good enough for this role and I'm not good enough for that role. My, my agent was like, no, it's brilliant that they're asking you back. You know, they're, they're inviting you back to audition for different roles. That means Lauren's really interested, which was uh, once I got my head around that, I was like, oh, great, I can have a bit of fun. And uh, she was just very clear with what she wanted. She really like, really pushed me, you know, and and made sure that we we got the right thing. And then I eventually met with Ben, and she was in the room as well. And it was it was great. I didn't get that role, <laughs> and then I met, did another tape, and then straight away they they called me to go to Wales, and I did a, a chemistry read with Asa, and that was so fun. Uh, and then I was like, wow, this is yeah, this feels like the right role. This is really exciting. Um, got the train back to London and then, yeah, kind of got the role straight away. So I felt, it felt like I'd been preparing it for, for a long time, but also it felt really fast, you know? Yeah. So um, when I got into set, I was a little bit overwhelmed and sort of like, I'm Swedish, am I Norwegian? I was a few different people until we finally finalized, you know, on the family situation. And Mikhail being my dad, who's such an incredible guy. He was there my first day on set as well. And I had my first day with Gillian, Gillian Anderson, um, which was just great. I was like, wow, here I am. Just uh, just doing my thing with Gillian Anderson. You know, what can I say? So I felt already very honest. <laughs> I've got this, it's fine. It's just me and Gillian on my first day. No problem though. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was the most nervous I've ever been. Yeah. 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 It was yeah. crazy. I mean, I, I just like, there was like maybe seven takes of me not being able to speak <laughs> because I was so, so nervous. And she has such an incredible aura, you know, like, wow. Um, mm. Very commanding and beautiful. And, mm. Uh, mm. and I was just sort of, I was very much in awe of it. So it just, mm. it, it, I got thrown a, a mm. few times and mm. I was like, I've got to get it together. Mm. Come on. Mm. Um, but then eventually after that kind of, ha- yeah, had a really good time, went in. Mm. We are going to talk a little bit about Ola, uh, but, and I, and I also want to talk about life without and after Ola, because that's yeah. where you are today. To a certain extent, sex education is kind of, I mean, although you've been working in a, kind of a, a loose way since you were a child. It's not like, you know, you, know you, you went on the stage and gave up your education and had a private tutor and like so it happens for some young people, but you you definitely are not new, particularly treading the boards, but but you'd only done a couple of telly jobs, hadn't you, when you bought sex ed? Oh yeah, no, I literally only done one small film and then, you know, yes, some other thing on TV, you're right. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't much at all. So as I say, like when I started on that first day, I was, I was quite nervous. I wasn't, I, I didn't know myself as a TV actor. I knew myself as a theater actor, uh, actress, whatever, you know, and, uh, I coined both terms, by the way, Mika, <laughs> actor and actress. 
So I don't know. I'm still an actress. I, I've never been an yeah. actor. I like being an I've actress. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. The thing is about your going straight into something like that, that I really would like to talk to you about is the level of responsibility, because I think sex education was a game changer in terms of how we think about and perceive sex. And I know that that would have given quite a lot of pressure. I mean, I would suggest that actually the awkwardness that we got to see, it put sex out of the kind of, let me put it this way, in the past, when most actors and actresses were needing to represent sex on stage or a kiss or fingering, which we're going to come to, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that they were being asked to represent was a lie. Right. Whereas with sex education, it was really real. And also as a show, it had a kind of a, a, almost like a, a responsibility to widen the remit of types of characters mm -hmm. and, and try to kind of break down the taboos and the stereotypes. So it's one of your first major acting jobs. And then you've got this part. And I think Ola, I mean, she's, she's kind of, she's described as being no nonsense. She is initially the girlfriend of Otis mm -hmm. and then she becomes the girlfriend of Lily. So she discovers yeah. during season one, season one, right? That she's pansexual. Uh, during season two. During season two, that she's pansexual. So we we go on that journey with her. And I guess, like, did you ever think, fucking hell, this is like a massive responsibility and really intense? <laughs> That's so interesting. Uh, I, yes, I did. And also at the same time, no, I didn't because I was like, oh, also these people kind of exist, you know? So uh, it's always a responsibility. I think you'd agree when you're playing any character to just, to respect them always. Um, uh, and so, if, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was, uh, oh, this is going to be super difficult. I just wanted to make sure that her truth was always coming through. And I was never just then playing a version or a, you know, a stereotypical, this is what this person looks like. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. that, that was always really mm -hmm. important to me to, that was that. Do you feel that was in the writing? Do you feel that that that, that don't listen, Laurie Nunn, if you're or anyone in the writing? But do you feel that that was always there in the writing? Do you feel that the writing had? Because I think the writing's got great integrity. Did you yeah. always feel like the writing for Ola was steeped in enough integrity that you could actually play that part, not as a stereotype and not as a token gesture towards a young person going through that exploration of her sexuality? I think so. Yeah. I, it was, it's sort of, it was lovely. I thought like the, and season two for me, I had such a fantastic time exploring it. This is why I was like, oh yeah, I guess I felt respons some responsibility, but mostly I had a lot of fun because, because it was just, because I felt it was really well written because they explored it through dreams and like the subconscious and, and that's just something I'm really interested in because it's like this character's already here. And she's just sort of discovering herself instead of being like, oh, this is who she is now. Does that make sense? It's like, oh, no, oh, uh, I thought I was, I thought this is who I was, but I am this and I'm also that. And that's what was really interesting. It was like an adding to the character. Um, and that's just something which I think, yeah, the writing did really well because it was just layered. Yeah. And super fun for me to play 
all of those things and to just have that discovery. And so many people felt really empowered by the fact that Ola was, you know, pansexual. They'd never seen a character like that before. And I had a, I had a talk with the, my director, Sophie, um, and a few other people when we were doing it in terms of the, you know, you talk about the fingering scene. She, 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 we, we were talking about making that really real and, you know, like all of that stuff. Yeah. Before you talk about that, let's just, let's just, cause for me, yes. one of the things that sex education did, does continue to do, even without you, it will continue to do it, is that it takes awkward sex and puts it like right in front of us, which sex is awkward. So thank you for doing that sex education, but the fingering oh. scene for me. So with Otis, I was literally like, that's like the, the, so I think you should just tell the listeners what that mini storyline was about for anyone that hasn't seen it. What was that storyline about? Yeah. So that storyline was Otis and Ola who have been dating for a little while, um, you know, are ready to sort of move on to another base and Ola is sort of pushing it along in a way she's sort of very interested to get Otis in her pants and um sort of one lunchtime or was it after school they have some time together and uh he has been practicing uh how to to finger somebody because he's never he's never done it before so it's his first time it's also it's also her first time receiving the fingers (laughs) and um so there's that awkwardness because they both have they don't know what to expect and they don't really know how it's supposed to go you know and so there's all this all this stuff and there's also a lot of anticipation as it you know they're very horny but they're very mismatched and there's a lot of there's a lot of energy (laughs) um and it doesn't end up being very lovely um you know it basically it, it ends up being quite intense, I, th- I suppose, because Otis thinks he knows what he's doing. Um, turns out he doesn't really know what he's doing. There's no communication between both of them. She doesn't really tell him that it's it's not going well. You know, she doesn't stop him. So it's sort of awkward. And then it, it ends and she sort of pretends to climax, um, except she, she doesn't. Um, and then she sort of is tormented over the next couple of days and talks to her very good friend Lily about it and is wondering how to go about it because she's like, oh, it wasn't very good, but I like him, but it wasn't good. But, oh God, it was, it was just terrible. I don't know if I ever want to have it ever again, you know? And so there's that. So that's basically it really. And then she tries to figure out how to tell him. Yeah. The next, the, the storyline for me really is is you know the the fingering is the inciting incident but really the yeah. the the story is about how to have that conversation to tell with him exactly. so coming back to how that moment was on the on on set because you mentioned that is it yeah. Sophie was she, was she the director at the time and then there was an intimacy yes. coach yes 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 there was and uh bringing back to that that moment just before we were just discussing um I was like oh my god you know this is this is so weird. And I don't know if anyone else has, maybe they have, of course they have but been in this situation, but I was like, I've definitely been this girl. Um, and I've, I've been here and, uh, my goodness, I wasn't a teenager either, you know? And I was like, just there, like, it's, it's it, the things that we're doing in this show 
I always found interesting because I was like, oh, these are teenagers. But I think that even now in my my 20 year old, you know, in my 20s, I've had so many awkward moments because I never really learned how to have these conversations. And so here we are discovering it and, and laying a foundation of, of it. And I feel privileged to be learning from the process. So it's mm. even more than just anything else. It's It was a kind of a, a healing as well in its own way. And like, a mm. oh yeah, okay, let's, let's make this very truthful because I know that I'm probably not the only one who's been through this. So let's make this a nice, clear story we can can all grow and learn from it and we don't have to be in this situation again you know what I mean like don't have to sit through any discomfort uh, we can just find the right way to to break this cycle I think that's that's so beautiful so what what would you say and this is for you personally not not Ola what would you say was the best thing that you learned about sex from being a part of sex education is it is it that what you've just described about how to communicate when the sex wasn't good because I think I need to be in sex education so I can learn that too <laughs> literally you know, you know just sort of awkwardness you know when you don't want to say it but it is it is that you know what I've learned uh, it's um actually not just it's not just that it's this it's bigger than that it's this sort of like a lot of really uncomfortable and awkward things happen to us and we need to be able to check in with ourselves to just be like uh, how am I feeling am I okay with this am I am I not okay with this how do I navigate myself in this situation because the whole thing about consent and everything was just like you have to consent with yourself first what am I comfortable with number one and then that helps me navigate my way around the world and navigate my boundaries. And I think that's it as well. Like the communication uh, comes from really just like knowing thyself in that situation. Because sometimes like we, let me give you an example. The best thing is like we, we do this consent thing where you say, am I comfortable with you touching my elbow? And then you say yes or no. And sometimes do you find that you say yes in a no way? So you're not being truthful. You're like, yes, I am comfortable with that. But actually you're saying no. So it's about also just checking in with yourself and being like, okay, this is really what's going on and being truthful and honest. So it is, it's like a real, like, how do I feel in this situation? Am I good? Am I consenting? Everything is good. I'm enjoying myself. Let's keep going. You know, I guess it's yeah, bigger than that. Like that kind of communication with myself to and with other people that's super deep isn't it <laughs> but well it's uh, yes it is super deep it is because what you're really describing is mindfulness yeah and being present in the moment and we're so disassociated from ourselves i mean i'm the worst for it i mean i try to be mindful and present but like the way that we are raised as human beings and ambition and thinking about what's happening tomorrow really separates us from being able to be present in the moment. Mm -hmm. And particularly with sex, I think to be mindful yes. in sex, it's not just consent, it's mindfulness yeah. and allowing. And also one of the things that I loved when Ruby Rare came on the podcast and she, she was like, you know, consent's a conversation. Like when the conversation around consent became really kind of potent over the last, you know, five years really, but that, you know, the sex, education conversation about what happened on the bus to Amy the Woods character and all of that stuff there was a bit of me that was like this feels really 
it feels really exciting, but it also feels limiting. And Ruby really helped me because she said, you know, Mika, consent is a conversation. So I think before I understood that, I thought consent meant that if, if I ask to touch your elbow and you say no, it's a no. And it's not, it doesn't mean I can't ask again tomorrow. Exactly. It doesn't mean I can't ask again in five minutes. And that was really important for me. And I also think it's really important for men because I think a lot of this conversation is being kind of um, mirrored towards men Mm -hmm. that somehow or other they don't know how to be respectful of consent. I personally think that women need to learn how to express themselves just as much as men. It's it's a two-way street, but I think that thing about consent being a conversation is, is really powerful, you know, that you can ask again. You can Absolutely. ask again. And and you should. And you should keep checking in, like with yourself and your and your partner and your partners, whoever. I agree, because it is just it, things change, moments change, and relationships deepen. And the more you ask, the more comfortable the other person is going to be with you. That's another thing about consent. It's trust, isn't it? So mm. it's also building mm. that. Mm. Yeah. I asked um, Sex with Emily, who came on the podcast, what I said, we're talking about faking orgasms. And I was like, if you've been faking orgasms through your whole like relationship, like, and like, and, and you suddenly realize you need to stop, how do you do it? She said, she said to me, it was brilliant. She said, just tell them the way that you, that you come has changed. <gasps> oh my God. Just be like, oh, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I was like, that actually constitutes a lie. But <laughs> she was like, it's fine at the beginning. <laughs> that's hilarious but I think these small things are super super helpful and I and you know I'm I'm not ashamed to say that I actually learned so much through through sex sex education what would you say was your and then we're going to move away from it because you're leaving devastating um what what would you say was your most excruciating moment as an actor on sex education What's the bit that haunts you at night? You're like, oh my God, no, I can't believe I did that or had to do that or said that. And it doesn't have to be on set. It could be in your, it can be in the, in the old uh, Winnebago. (laughs) Honestly, like say, like I was once trying to be funny and it's like, just, I should never try to be funny because I'm like one of these people who's a bit of a clown. Like, so I'm only funny by accident. Does that make sense? Like, like, <laughs> like I'm trying to jump on a swing and I'll miss it. But on the third one, I'll get on. It's like very clownish behavior. Um, that's the only thing I should try. So like we finished doing a take and I literally just looked to the camera and I spat on my hand and it was just weird. Yeah. It's just really weird. It's just weird. I was like, I don't know why I did it. It was like a... <laughs> well, no, I get it. Because then you do that afterwards. Because that's what people do when they've done a good job and finished well. Yeah, I know. But it's the way I did it. It was the intensity. It was misplaced and odd. <laughs> I just looked at the camera and spat on my hand and showed them. Had you done a good take? <laughs> it was great. There we go. I mean, it makes it's complete fantastic. sense to me. You can put that anxiety to bed because I, I say that's not an excruciatingly embarrassing really? moment. And that makes total sense to me. It's like what boxers do when they're going in the ring or... The, or... It was before COVID, by the way. <laughs> but I just have to be clear. Oh my God. This is way before. This is when, when spit was a thing of, you know... Way to shake hands. Also, there wasn't really enough spitting in sex education. So maybe you were trying to like send a message to like the writers. <laughs> I was. I was like, guys, maybe you should. But it also was a very light spit. I have to say it wasn't like a gob. It was like a, it was cute. Was it a ladylike spit? 
Is that? <laughs> it was just really, really cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a dribble. Anyway, let's stop talking about this. This is weird. We're going to take a very quick ad break. And before we do, I wanted to let you know that this podcast was produced in association with Albright, the leading career network for women. Got a mission, a five-year plan, or an outrageous dream? Albright will have your back. They had mine. Visit www.albrightcollective.com to join their free community today or download the Albright app available in the App Store. Albright, a global sisterhood for ambitious women. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. One of the questions I was going to ask you is what's, what's the most stupid question that anyone's ever asked you? But then I realized that I had it for you, so I'm going to ask it. Yeah, ask me. <laughs> so in my deep dive into Trisha Allison, one of the articles said, um, Ola discovers she's pansexual. But she also has real feelings for Lily in real life. I'm reading this verbatim. <laughs> and she has feelings for Tanya. Do you fancy Tanya Reynolds? I do. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how could you not? I concur. She's an absolute babe station. I concur. I love that article. I concur. But she also has feelings for her in real life. Uh, I mean... You know, I, I absolutely love and respect Tanya Reynolds so much. So if those are feelings, then I have them towards her. I do love her. She's brilliant. But um, I mean, also, she's really hot. So, yeah, sure. Let's. The reason I ask it is because obviously people get people confused with their characters all the time. And I'm not asking you to define your sexuality, but I suppose really what I'm getting at is like with sex education, did you find that you were then being. Were people making assumptions about you, Trisha? Oh, yeah, totally. And yeah. how was that for you? And was it okay? I'm very interested. Yeah. Are you, because you, because uh, you a gay character people, on screen, are you therefore okay. gay? I know that you are yeah. pansexual rather than gay, but it's like, you know, I just think it's an interesting thing that can happen. Exactly. Yes. I think people have really want to, are fascinated by association 
And I guess some cases it could be true, but sometimes I found it difficult because of my my Kenyan upbringing, and you know, it's 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 sort of kind of illegal to be gay in in Kenya and in some parts of Africa. So that was always a really interesting and difficult factor in my willingness to be open with my my sexuality when people were asking me these questions. And I guess that's what I found difficult at the time was, you know, how do I express my myself but also being able to still go home and visit my family without worrying that somebody was going to throw stones at me, which... Well, and also protecting them. Because one of the things when you have a public profile is that anything that we do... I was recently going to talk about an abortion I had in in an article and I I haven't done it actually, not because I'm not willing to, but things happened around it that that Mm. meant... It was before Roe v. Wade was overturned. I decided not to do it, but I had to think really clearly about the impact that that was going to have on the person I had the abortion with and my family to talk about things like that. I think it's a... There's an assumption... that we play these characters on stage or screen and therefore we should be as open about them in real life. And I, and I don't think we have to be, um, although I do appreciate the fact that you've just told me you fancy Tanya Reynolds because I feel like I've got the scoop. <laughs> coming, back to, <laughs> coming back to what you've just <clears throat> said about um, being gay, being illegal in some, some places uh, in Africa, which is where your family is from or some of your family are from, in America, in certain states, vibrators are illegal, but no one actually sees through it. So sex shops what? are illegal in Alabama. Yeah, sex what? shops are illegal in Alabama. But there are, whenever I post about that on the Happy Gino, I get like hundreds of people from Alabama going, but I, here's a picture of the sex shop on my street in Alabama. Really? And I'm like, okay, I get it. But the point is, is that legislation still says, in Africa, is being a gay human being actually persecuted? I'm sure there's a lot of bullying that goes on in terms of persecuting within communities, but is it actually legislatively taken up by the courts and by the police if you're found out to be gay in some places yes yes in some places it's extremely dangerous people get murdered um for it and it is it's still you know it it happens in some places and some communities or some people will maybe not like turn a blind eye in the sense of like it's not talked about and it will happen and it's more accepted in some areas but some places it's heavily like sought out and it's still extremely violent. And even there was a protest, there was a few protests where people like going out and marching, which was like the first time it ever happened in Africa where people were actually going out and doing like an LGBTQ, you know, a walk. And so many of those people, uh, gunfire was opened on them, you know, and it's, it's devastating. So it's like, you know, that, it's it's still very volatile in terms of just like information and it, the high amounts of ignorance and just the lack of maybe support and care around the LGBTQ uh, community, QI plus, you know, and just all of that stuff. So even though it's happening here and I'm so interested as well in absolutely like talking about what, where we need to advance here and trans rights for me, just the top of my top mm. of my list is black trans rights, but also just in general trans rights. Mm. Um, and just, well, yeah, it's, it's a heavy subject on my heart in my. It is, it is. And, and I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not being trite about, but I think if you look back to this country 50, 60 years ago, and I know that gay rights and trans rights are actually not safe and 
and particularly in America at the moment, things are being regressing, it would seem. But I think that you can look at what's happened here and only hope that bit by bit, that very first protest that's happened in Africa will eventually mean that things get overturned. I went to Pride this year by accident, not because I haven't gone before, but I had to go and pick something up and end up in the middle of it. And it was one of the most incredible experiences because when I used to go to Pride, it was a bit of a rave. But this was like... Like I'm fully on board to support anybody that needs help to not be persecuted. That's in my, in my bones. But I, I hadn't quite understood until going to Pride, the joy that's going on in the community at the moment. Like it. Absolutely. It blew my mind. I was like on the, on the carnival route and like, because all the universities were there and, and, and Pride has gone it's always been a celebration, but it did used to feel a bit like a rave somehow. And obviously it was more about gay and lesbian. And now it's opened up to all the different sexual persuasions and the celebrations. And actually some of the the floats that were celebrating or campaigning for trans black rights got the loudest cheers. And I was literally, I was in tears because it was just like, it was just, it was a very, very special, I couldn't leave. I spent the rest of the day there. I love that. Yeah. That in that is exactly what I felt as well. This pride, you know, walking through, I was like, there's copious amounts of joy, which is so fun. Like I have, I've been to pride with, uh, years and years ago, I went with one of my friends who was trans and he was bullied in the, in, in the boys bathroom by a couple of guys who were gay. And I couldn't believe that he was being bullied for being trans by, by gay guys. I was like, I was actually in shock. Mm -hmm. And I just told them, I was like, guys, you know, like, this is crazy. So I feel like I'm so glad that where we are now, do you know what I mean? It's moving. We're moving. It is moving. moving. And for places like, in Africa, I think places like that, the the, the internet does benefit. There is, I understand, I'm not, as I said, I'm not being trite about it. You've said that you want to use the platform that you've been uh, given to 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 help and support people, yeah. which you do do. You're at the moment you are in uh, a feminist production of the Dolls House Two, which has yes. been which is which is about Nora. 15 years after she walks out on her marriage and you mm-hmm. play the daughter. Now, anyone who can't get into the West End to see this production at the moment, you can always read the play text. You can just buy it. So if you're like, what are they talking about? Just go and buy it. But mm-hmm. what I find really interesting is you play Nora's daughter. So Nora in the doll's house is trapped in this marriage. She's really unhappy. And eventually mm-hmm. she just walks out on it, which was unheard of back then. You play Nora's daughter who is actually about to get married Mm-hmm. And one of the yeah. things that I find really interesting about it is that is that she almost wants the life that her mum walked away from to a certain Absolutely. extent. And one of the things, pieces of feedback I'm getting from younger generations of feminists, Trisha, is that they actually see being homemakers, homekeepers as something that they actually really want to do, that they don't necessarily want to be doing like what we all do, which is like, because the 40 hour work week was, was created for people who had staff at home, essentially like centuries ago. And now we're all doing so much. We're burnt out. And I, do you feel that, that that's what that character is representing is kind of a new way of being a feminist, yeah. which is that I'm a, I can be a feminist and I can want to get married and Absolutely. have a more traditional 
life? Yeah, I I think uh, it's really interesting playing Emmy because for that reason, I I went into it, you know, as a kind of a very different sort of human being. I would say my thinking, you know, I, I was like, I know I don't really want to get married and all that kind of stuff. And so I had to, I had to find the truth in her character. We did, had lots of people come in and talk to us. I had a professor from Cambridge who does women's studies, um, especially back in the 1800s. And she, she came in and spoke to us. And that was very insightful for me to kind of get an idea of Emmy as a modern woman, right? And also, because it's set in the 1800s as well. So it's nice to have a bit of that context. And women back in the day, what we would call feminists, didn't like to call themselves feminists. <laughs> they called themselves freedomists, emancipators. They used so many, they coined loads of different terms. And so that's where I was at with Emmy. I was like, okay, she's, what, what does feminism mean? And I came to the conclusion that it means that it's the freedom of choice. It's the freedom to decide what you want to do with your life. Um, and that's where I came to with her. So I was like, yeah, it should be regardless of what anyone thinks. Uh, if she wants to get married, then that, that's her feminist choice to get married and become a homemaker and and do that. And then it led me on to question other things, which were, you know, the patriarchy and the, contra- and the constructs in which marriage exists. So maybe it doesn't have to be about marriage. Maybe it's about the patriarchy. Maybe it's about changing the laws, the rules in which, you know, that exists. And I've had discussions with my friends about marriage, you know, my younger friends who were like, yeah, but, it, you know, it's, it's a good thing because it protects women when they have kids with men. And I said, well, what could you have that without marriage? Is there a way that we can, you know, make laws for women that protect us in different ways? You know what I mean? And so I think that these conversations are actually really up for discussion right now, um, especially with the amount of people who are getting married, the amount of people who I know. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, like, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. People have been married for for so long and people have been happy and that's the way that people want to go. So if it's not working for everybody, is there another way that we can do it? That's where I'm at with it. And I'm thinking. Change the legislation. So that, And also, I mean, one of the things that, that of course happens with marriage is that you get tax breaks and stuff. So we're all exactly. trapped by a capitalist system that yes. keeps us needing to do things in order to get a better deal on life. Exactly. And that's exactly where Emmy's at. That is it. And that's where, this is the game that she's playing. This is where we find her. She's a, she's a, the kind of woman who's clever in manipulating that system to kind of get what she wants and the, the freedoms that she can get from the society. But it all means playing within the games of the, the patriarchal construct, you know? The other thing that yeah. you said in an interview and I watched this in a video, so I know that it's, tra- it's fact because it actually came out of your mouth, which is that about, so Ibsen's uh, The Doll's House 2 is obviously oh, yeah. um, by a, a modern oh, writer and is an imaginary tale of what might happen after yeah, Nora walks yeah. out. And in that interview, Trish, you say that you would have been be interested to see what would happen if Juliet didn't kill herself when she found Romeo and maybe she like went back to university or something and and you suggest this now listen can we just I just want I just want to name it that you want to destroy one of the greatest love stories of all time Trisha (laughs) but why was really 
I was really interested about, because at the moment there's a movement going on, probably in like my little echo chamber of feminism on Instagram. It's probably nowhere else, but people saying to me, we need to like stop celebrating these films that basically progressed. So I'm talking about the classics, like the, the kind of like the Hollywood movies that basically promote the woman getting saved by the guy. And like those love stories about people killing themselves for love essentially sets us up for deep rooted codependency. Like that for love to be love, we have to be prepared to Mm -hmm. put that person in front of ourselves to, well, well, that's, that's it. That, that, that's the right thing. That's it. To do it. Yeah, that's it. Right, right, exactly. That's it. That, the end. <laughs> and uh, does it have to be true? I mean, obviously, Shakespeare is incredible. <laughs> that, that is an amazing love story. Okay, don't get me wrong. I think in itself, it's a beautiful metaphor because, hey, we kill ourselves for love anyway, regardless. So I think it's great that we have that. But I think as well as, uh, you know, I'm saying yes and. So, like, you know, it's so good to have these stories sometimes, but it doesn't have to be the main focal point. Uh, I would love us to create different alternative endings. You know, what is it like ideas create substance or they create the future? Do you know what I mean? So like, let's, let's, let's kind of come up with some new desires. I I think mm. like, what do we mm. want to see that is. Or to reshape the story. Yeah. So like if Juliet was, her love for him was so strong that she wanted to live for him. Thank you. Which is actually what happens in life. People who, people who lose people. They and let them go. And obviously they spend a lot of time on the floor bawling their eyes out. We've all been there, whether it be exactly. a loss through to death or a loss for a breakup or whatever the loss is. Yeah. But then you go, right. Well, either it's revenge. You're like, right, I'm going to fucking show you. Or the other (laughs) thing is, if you've lost them to grief, is you want to live for them. You want to take each day that you've got. So I, 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 I love, I loved that suggestion. Although I'm, I'm such a romantic. I'm slightly wary of like overriding all of the kind of like MGM musicals. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. But we can still do it. It can still be romantic. I don't know. It can also be. And. Uh, yes, and and so deeply spiritual as well. Do you know what I mean? It can just doesn't have to end. I think that's what love is as well. It's like it's so complicated and complex. And I think we've only been exploring this 2D version of what it is. I've been fascinated by the idea of love, the concept of love since I was 16. I did this like spoken word thing about it because I was like, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the subject. I'm fascinated. Isn't anyone else fascinated by like how you can love something so much you hate it (laughs) and then you hate something, you love it. You know, it's two sides of the same coin. What does it make you do? Like makes you jealous, but then what is jealousy? Uh, It's complex. You've just touched on spirituality and on your uh, Instagram feed, you say lover of the divine. We've only got a little bit of time left, but I just wonder if you could say a little bit about what that means for you. It really touched me. Uh, Yeah. I, uh, you know, like actually ties in with your question in the beginning. Like you asked me if I felt a lot of responsibility, you know, with this job and taking that on. And in a way I did, but I felt personal responsibility, like time to find out what I knew about myself and the world in which I live and how I feel towards it so that I'm coming at it with the most purest intentions. Um, Because I do really believe that I've got a powerful platform and I want to use it properly. And I wanted to make sure that my mind, my soul and all my energy was channeled in the right place. And in that journey, I've, I found like the divine 
and I don't want to say this and mean it in a gendered way, but it's like the divine feminine energy, which exists within all of us in a way. And it's that, uh, kind of like, which we also have divine masculine energy, but that's what I was working towards. I needed to find stillness. I needed to find, uh, grounding. I needed to find clear communication. I needed to find intuition. Um, and that's what the divine was representing and is representing for me and is like an endless clear light of communication um and a way to stay present and so I'm a lover <laughs> and so I I'm falling in love with the divine you know oh. and trying to fall, fall in love with the divine in everyone so that everyone can fall in love with the divine in me <laughs> and themselves <laughs> and themselves and themselves so beautiful i'm 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 i've got goosebumps and would be a beautiful way to end this podcast however i have got one more question for you trish allison what makes your vagina happy today oh oh my god <clears throat> i just did a bitchin to-do list for my entire week and that has made my vagina very happy and oh my god so, that's amazing I know admin makes your vagina happy is that isn't that crazy <laughs> because I am actually a, not a very organized person so if I can start my Monday with like just a bit of organization then I feel like I can go and have some fun <laughs> you heard it here first it's a you practice. heard it here first Trisha Allison is turned on by admin <laughs> Patricia Allison thank you so much for giving us your time I found this conversation really inspiring thank you so much me too this has been amazing really amazing I'm Mika Simmons that was Patricia Allison this is the Happy Vagina podcast thank you so much for listening and we will see you all next week Thanks for listening to the Happy Vagina podcast produced by Pineapple Audio Production. And don't forget, if you're thinking about freezing your eggs, check out ABC IVF for low-cost fertility preservation. Take control of your fertility now by booking an assessment with ABC IVF so you can better understand your fertility health and plan for your future. Just go to www.abcivf.co.uk and book your fertility assessment now. That's www.abcivf.co.uk Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.